Welcome to the Mission Daily. I'm your host, Chad Grills. And in today's episode, we have a special guest. It is none other than Russ Roberts. Russ is the author of four books, including both fiction and nonfiction. You might know him from the world-famous Econ Talk podcast, where he hosts. He's also a research fellow at the Stanford Hoover Institution, and he is generally an all-around great guy. Enjoy this episode. Today's episode of the Mission Daily is brought to you by Twilio. This October, Twilio is hosting Signal, the Customer Developer Conference of the Year. To grab your tickets, go to signal.twilio.com and be sure to use the code MISSION20 at checkout to receive 20% off your tickets. Russ, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be here. So today's episode, I wanted to do something different. You have written a number of essays lately, and one of them really caught my eye. And I'm holding it here in my hands for the listeners that can't see us. It's called The Outrage Epidemic. And what inspired you to write that? The last couple of years, um, part of it's the Trump presidency, part of it's, um, I think, trends that long predate it. It just seems to be a very difficult time in America for having a civil conversation, I think, the first Thanksgiving of the Trump presidency, a lot of people were like distraught either before, during or after. And I noticed that this was a, this was happening in my family. Uh, it was happening to my friends. And I think I was trying to figure out what's going on. Why is it that we seem, and of course, sometimes your perceptions are wrong, but sure. it seems that the ability to have a civil conversation has uh, dramatically uh, gotten, the chance of, have, of a civil conversation have gotten dramatically smaller. And why is it that yelling and ranting and have seemingly gotten more rewarding for people. So I've, you know, I've noticed on talk shows, on the Sunday morning talk shows, the type of people who get invited, the type of people <laughs> who star in those sure. tend to be angrier, louder. And I don't think it matters what side you're on, but they seem to invite the person that you wouldn't choose for your side uh, to represent your side, but they pick that person because that person drives a lot of uh, response. And so the the yelling, ranting thing is just seems more prevalent than it used to be. And I thought, I, was, I want to think about it as an economist. You know, what explains that? Well, what's changed in the world? And one of you says, well, it's always been that way. Right. We've always had prou- trouble talking with people. You know, it's like religion. I'm talking about politics and religion at, at dinner. But I think the it seems to have gotten worse. And is right. that just because the people I follow on Twitter are angrier, or is it really something underlying that's actually happening that's important? And I think that's the um, that's worth thinking about. I think that something is happening. There are some trends that are pretty disturbing. And for those of us who are interested in improving the dialogue and having more of it, you lay out seven, it's just six in the essay, but I took away seven principles <laughs> that I think are worth talking about and diving into more in detail because they offer a way for anyone who's listening right now who wants to get out of the 24-hour news cycle of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, I think these offer a viable pathway out to better dialogue, better conversations, and ultimately deeper connections with other people, which is what many of our listeners want. Yeah. Uh, So I I was hoping we could dive into each of those principles and then give our listeners some ideas on how to apply them. Great. So number one is learn to enjoy saying, I don't know. So if you're a Shakespeare or Hamlet fan, you alluded to Hamlet's advice to Horatio, which is such a good reminder that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in your philosophies, Horatio. 
And that's very hard for people to accept. I mean, yes. part of the, one of the underlying themes of the essay is, is tribalism. Yes. That we want to belong to a group and that's a human thing that's eternal. It's new. That's nothing new there. Right. Uh, we like feeling part of something larger than ourselves. It could be religion. It could be a sports team. And I think free, more often than not lately, it's our political party or our ideology. And um, there's not perfect truth in any of those things. Uh, I think you realize that. You certainly easily see that the other side is, has lots of flaws, but you can't, the idea that they see you the same way and that they could be decent people right. is is alarming because at first, because you think, well, but, but I've got all the good studies to support my <laughs> viewpoint. And, but strangely enough, they think they have all the good studies and that your studies are flawed. And some of them are nice people. And when you sit down and actually talk to them, you realize they have good intentions. They're trying to make the world a better place, just like you are. And yet they've come to a different conclusion. So to accept the possibility, not necessarily the likelihood, but the possibility that you could be wrong is an enormous step toward uh, civility and, and respecting other people. And it's not easy. It takes some of the fun out of it. It's really fun to be, feel self-righteous. It's really fun. It's a very natural impulse, right? Sure. Our ego drives us to say, I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, if we want to live in a civil democracy, which is probably a good idea rather than a totalitarian Absolutely. state yeah. uh, where, where one side wins and then dominates <laughs> ruthlessly, that's not the world I want to live in, not even if we're by side. Yeah. Uh, we have to be accepting the possibility that we're wrong. And when we say that, I don't know, uh, it's very liberating. Uh, both just on a personal level, it's very liberating. I think so too. And it pushes us to face our fears because it puts us in a state of vulnerability where yeah. you get to see who someone is and their true colors when you admit, I don't know, I could, I could be wrong. Like, what do you think about this? Now, I think I'm older than you. I'm just <laughs> guessing. Am I, am I right? You think I'm right? I think a, I'm right. A couple right. years? I think, yeah, I'm 63. <laughs> I don't know how old you are, but I know you're less than 63. 33. When you are younger, in my experience, uh, personal experience, I think from it's not uncommon. When you're younger, the idea of expressing vulnerability is totally frightening, sure. totally unacceptable. And I use a metaphor, you know, I, I don't know where I got it, but most of us through much, much of our life, we go through life with wearing armor to protect ourselves. We have to, we, we don't want to deal with, with the wounds of, of being pierced by <laughs> other people's swords. And, People can and, be brutal and that's- Yeah, yeah and it's really hard. And so we put on the armor and we forget that everybody else has the armor on too. They look so self-assured and so comfortable in their own skin and so self-confident, but in fact, they're just like you. They are just like you. You know, the other line I like is everyone's in a battle, be kind. So people are going through ego, fear, anxiety, stress, and you think you're the only one because everyone's wearing the armor. They don't show it. And yeah. you don't show it either most of the time. But so what I was gonna say is as I get older, the idea of expressing vulnerability and allowing uh, put the armor off for a while and and accept the the uh, the risks of of damage is very rewarding and I I think the earlier you can get there the better so uh, yeah so admit I, you don't know I, so <laughs> what are some ideas that listeners can take away to use this today so obviously we don't want to go around saying oh I don't know anything yeah, I'm just uh, I don't know I could never learn that we don't want to be that you know go to that extreme but we do want to practice saying it. So maybe this is something that they can practice with friends or family. That's the first place you can practice. Well, I think there are plenty of places to practice uh, that are uh, safe, not just in terms of who you're talking to, but what you're talking about. So I, I, silly example, sports. 
Very uh, safe place. Safe. Well, kind of. I mean, people have a lot of ego involved in, say, that might right. be about their knowledge of sports or their-, their unless, po- unless you're around a group of hooligans. Uh, uh, yeah, well, that's a, that's one <laughs> risk for sure. And, yeah, in, in football in Europe. Uh, but, but there's also the idea that, you know, my team's the best team. My team has- all this great success and your team's not and rivalries tend to all of a sudden get get involved and i think in those settings where really there isn't very much at stake sometimes it feels like there is but if someone says a fact about how many times a certain team has won something or what's the batting average of this player or whatever there's a temptation to make a claim sometimes that that's unjustified and yet you make it because you feel like, oh, yeah, I've got to make a bold claim. And sometimes it's okay just to say, I don't know. So I would encourage people to say that in settings where there's not much at stake. Sure. Uh, and you could do that even with people who aren't your friends or aren't close friends. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's fun to be looked to as an expert. You know, if you have, if you're blessed or cursed with a PhD as I am, people say, oh, well, he must know. Oh, people ask me stuff. Like after the financial crisis, people would say to me, uh, you know, what's going to happen? And I'd say really happily, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and that doesn't get you on the talk shows and interviewed very often, yes. but it's the truth. So it it's to good lead, to be. <laughs> has to lead to more peace of mind, right? Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. So the second point you bring up is to follow some people on Twitter, Facebook or whatever social media network you're on who don't agree with you and try to find some folks who are relatively civil. So Abraham Lincoln was famous for building a team of rivals. And I think that's something that we often cringe at the thought of following the enemy and following the the outsider. But how have you found that to be helpful in your own life? Well, we've, we, Sometimes we'll follow the enemy because you know you're supposed to know your enemy. Sure. So so the idea would be, Why yeah, is- I'm going to follow the other side so I can hear yeah. all their stupid arguments and and know what I have to destroy and refute. The idea that you might learn something is a very strange concept. So one of the themes in the essay is that it's hard to accept, but I think it's unfortunately the case that most of us don't care so much about what's true. We care about what's comfortable, what makes us feel good, what confirms our biases, and the idea that. You could learn something from someone who doesn't agree with you is not really a comfortable thought, right? I, I don't need to learn anything from those crazies, those evil, whatever it is. And so I think certainly, you, I think it's a good idea to follow people you don't necessarily agree with. Challenge is you got to find ones who are thoughtful and civil and and actually not fighting a war to win every time. Right. Uh, there aren't so many of those people. So, you know, when I wrote that, I thought, this sound, this is great advice. Then I thought, yeah, except for the fact that if you follow people who are obnoxious, snarky, and and cruel, you'll just even feel better about the fact that your views are right or wrong. Right. So, uh, you know, recently on Twitter, I asked for suggestions for people who see the world differently than I do. I follow some of those people already, I hope. Sure. Uh, and they're fairly simple, but some of them drive me crazy. And I follow them anyway, because I think it's, <clears throat> quote, somewhat good for me. But if you're thinking this is a therapeutic thing and, and a way to advance your own self-development, you do have to look for people who are who are thoughtful. And um, thoughtfulness on Twitter is not so common, right? <laughs> I, I, I try to be no. thoughtful. I hope I am. I don't know if I am, but I know a lot of people who aren't. And so this advice, I'm not a big Facebook user, but it's the same issue there. I think this advice is obviously, quote, good advice, but it, the actual implementation of it will make me a little more challenging. I think in our personal lives, it might be a little more important to think about hanging around people who aren't just like you. And I think, you know, it depends where you live. You know, if you live, I live in uh, in most of the year in Montgomery County outside of Washington, D.C. When I moved there, 
I was going to George Mason. George Mason's economics department is very free market. And I said, well, you know, I'm a little worried that when I'm in going to George Mason, I'm going to get I'm going to get sort of an echo chamber. And they said, well, that's my friends said, don't worry, just go outside <laughs> because the rest of the <laughs> area around D.C. is not so free market. And I think that's a serious issue. I think we tend to look for, just like we do on Twitter and Facebook, we tend to look for social circles that are, quote, like us and where we can sit around and, and confirm our biases. And I think the challenge is very hard to find social friends today who are different from I, from who, my, for me politically yeah. or or ideologically. And who will challenge us, And who too. will challenge yeah. me, but in a polite, thoughtful, civil way. Definitely. And, um, you know, when you can have that conversation with a friend about an issue that you don't agree on, whether it's, and let's take some, you know, contentious things, immigration, minimum wage, death penalty, foreign policy. If you can have a thoughtful, civil conversation on those topics, it's exhilarating. It is. Now, yeah. It might not be as much fun as sitting around and and uh, complaining about the other side and everyone going yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> but it's a little more human. Yes. Um, well, that's yeah. That definitely gives some people some ideas of uh, how to get started with that. So maybe start online and then take it off outside to the real world and try to apply it there. So you know, we didn't talk earlier about what your seven takeaways are. Yes. You said I had six. Yes. So I have a seventh. Myself, which I'm going to throw we, in. We now. might be pushing this to eight then. Yeah, so this could be. Well, this could be yours. So it's <laughs> the excitement. I mean, the tension here is tremendous here <laughs> in the studio. But um, the, one of my post essay thoughts and suggestions is to try to be part of more than one tribe. So most of us have a main tribe. It might be I'm a Red Sox fan. It might be my religion. It might be my political party. But a lot of people have invested. I think in current times we have lots of ways to indulge that tribalism, especially politically through through social media. And I suggested that people join more than one tribe, not ideologically, because you're in that tribe. You're right. that tribe. You're not going to suddenly flip to the other side. You might, but you're not going to generally want to do that. It's not a plan. But try to find a different tribe where you're going to interact with people from the other ideological tribe, say. So go to a sporting event or do pick up a hobby. I, my joke on Twitter was, you know, if you're a if you're a Republican, take up yoga. If right. you're a Democrat, go to a NASCAR event. Now, you know that's kind of NASCAR is already a dated event. NASCAR people, oh, NASCAR attendance is falling. Okay, so don't go to NASCAR. Do something else. What's a great example? Yeah, yeah. but but find something where you're going to actually interact with other human beings yes. and discover that they're just human beings like you. Definitely. And and I think that's a hugely important uh, thing to try to do in, yeah. in this. Because if you haven't been to those events, you have one perspective, which Correct. is the media's perspective of those events, Correct. which it's isn't a stereotype. Yes. Yeah. So let's jump into the third one. So yeah. this is an important suggestion for a number of different reasons, uh, especially for anyone who's young and trying to come up in the career world. And the suggestion is to hold your anger for a day. Don't ratchet up the rhetoric. Do your part to bring more civilization and civility to the world of social media or just the world in general. So it's really tempting to look at our recent world of outrage and everything and look at things online like the sales of 1984 have surged. I doubt that the reading of 1984 has surged in proportion to those sales because, you know, you look at that where Orwell warned us about many things uh, among them, the two minutes of hate. I see the two minutes of hate playing out every day now on social media. It's, it's alive and well. And many people who would say that they've read the book, I don't think are aware that they're actually 
you know, participating in this two minutes of hate every single day. And I've read the book. Yeah. Back in the 19th century. <laughs> but I, I read the book a long time ago, probably about 40 years ago. And sure. I, the things that I remember are not the things that you remember, but I don't remember the two minutes of hate. What are the yes. two minutes of hate? So the two minutes of hate were when the wall screen, uh, the leader of the other party would come on the wall screen and everyone would let out just enormous oh, outrage. Everything gosh. in the cafeterias yeah. would stop. Perfect. People would start <laughs> you know, hurling insults at the television. Uh, and it was the only place that it was safe for them in that society to express anger. They had to channel that anger onto the scapegoat of the, the other side. Yes, the other. Yes, yeah. definitely. Horrible. And, and so you suggest to when that anger does bubble up, it's you know, this isn't a condemnation of folks who do get angry. I think that oftentimes uh, anger is the impetus for action. It, it can be a good thing if we channel it in the right direction. Uh, but you recommend to hold that anger for a day, which is always good advice. It's more challenging to implement. Though. Oh, yeah. So any ideas on yeah. how listeners can implement it? So just a small disagreement. This could be semantics. Sure, sure. I, I think passion is always good. That's a better word for it. And anger is almost always bad. Anger can be useful if you're attacked by a bear. Right. Right. And that visceral, uncontrolled, non-conscious response in sure. response to danger is typically what's also going on, I think, in our political debates these days. Yes. I'm acting like you're out to kill me. And both sides, I know it's hard to believe, listeners, but both sides feel the same way about the other side. I know you think your side is justified, but the other side feels the same way. They think the whole future of the universe is at stake. And so certainly in our interpersonal relationships, whether it's with our family or friends or colleagues, and you asked, you mentioned, you know, personal career advice. When you feel defensive, someone criticizes you and your natural impulse is to lash out and to strike back and to win and to get revenge. And one, I don't think that's a human, I think that's a natural response. I think it's a productive response because it also often ratchets it up sure. where your buddy, spouse, <laughs> colleague comes back with, with you know, you've- You've escalated the argument yeah, in a major way. <laughs> they brought a knife, you're bringing a gun, they come back with a bazooka and now you're really in trouble. Right. So you don't, that's not a good idea. And it also, it's not, it's the end of reason. It's the end of having a and civility, like, like you said. And civility. Is, it's a it, you've lost the chance to learn something. You've lost the chance to improve something. You've lost the chance to build a relationship with another human being, to understand them, etc. So I think the the idea of holding your for a day, first of all, it's no fun because you really want to lash out. When somebody sends me a really a piece of hate mail, uh, an email that's really ugly, or somebody tweets about me in a really ugly way. I want to just, I want to come back with a pile driver. I'm going to show them. And I found that when I go the other direction mm. and I say, oh, I, maybe you misunderstood me. I just, you know, um, I, first of all, it's very satisfying because you can actually have a conversation. You've expressed your humanity. You're not an animal, yes. another bear being chased by a bear. You're, you're a human being. And I think professionally, it's, you know, tremendously important not to be flying off the handle all the time where you lose control, can't have a thoughtful response. Not easy. I've fallen off the handle myself way too many times. I'm ashamed of those times. And I think part of growing up is learning to, to restrain that. So having a rule, a rule, hold your anger for a day. It, it doesn't mean you can't get upset. It doesn't mean you can't get passionate about something. What it means is don't respond in kind or With above that level of the yeah. other person right away. Because that's what you want to do, right? You know, someone hits you with a right cross, you want to come back with your right cross and just just take it. 
take it for a day. And when you wake up the next morning and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't send that email, but it'll look like a fool or I would have lost that friend. You just, it's so much better to respond calmly. If you're in a real fight, don't hold your anger. Sure. Save yourself. Absolutely. But these but are- Recognize the difference. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Okay. So fourth, you recommend to spend less time on the internet <laughs> and more time with human beings. This is, I feel like this can't be said enough right now. There are, you know, obviously recent stories in the news about Facebook and other social media sites that are hacking our dopamine systems and things like that. Uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to social media or, or the internet. It's great fun. They're great, great fun, <laughs> great, you know, tools. Learned a ton from them. But like all tools, they have, you know, some trade-offs uh, like anything really. So what are some recommendations for people that are looking to spend less time online? So I think the my general rule for behavior modification is um, is discrete on off, yes, no type of things that, you know, an example in, is dieting. If your rule is I won't eat too many potato chips, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> I do anyway. I don't know. Same. You know. Yeah. I, I, so yeah. my rule is no potato chips, except maybe in certain control settings. But but the whole idea of not too much of something is very hard. And certainly not too much Twitter, not too much Instagram, not too much Facebook, not too much email checking is very hard. So I, I look for hard stops that are on off to try to use uh, to have more time for human beings. Uh, so for me, I keep the Jewish Sabbath, which means that from sunset Friday to dark on Sunday, I have no interaction with electronics and electricity. Uh, that's extremely help, healthy uh, for me. Uh, I recommend it. Take a day. It doesn't have to be the Jewish Sabbath. Pick your make, create your own electronic digital Sabbath <laughs> where you say, I'm only going to interact with human beings. Sure. Now, that's incredibly hard. Uh, yeah, I do it because it's a religious impulse. People who said, that's fantastic. I'm going to do that. It's very hard to do. They, yes. they, I understand the impulse. They understand the impulse, but it's hard to do. So it's good to have smaller, simpler rules that are easier to keep. Uh, so an example would be uh, put your phone away at dinner. So it doesn't mean in your pocket for, right. for a, a guy. It's, it's interesting. My wife never has her phone at dinner because she doesn't carry her phone on her hip like I do. As a result, she doesn't get phantom notifications <laughs> yeah, like I do when my phone's not yeah. in my pocket. It's a strange. Is that the weirdest thing? It is. Yeah, uh, it's, it's scary. Yeah, it's, oh, someone's calling me. No, they're not. My phone's not in my pocket. But at any rate, what I, what I try to do, not so good at it, but I try to do is I take my phone and I put it out of reach while I'm having dinner. What, what happens if you don't do that, first, I've cut off a lot of notifications. I recommend that also, because uh, that, oh, I'll just check it for a second. Right. Then you're it could be something, I'm going to pretend it's something important. It's never, almost never something <laughs> important. What I'm really saying is it could be something really interesting, more sure. interesting than our yes. conversation. Yes. Shame on me. So cut off your, reduce your notifications, if not remove them. Take some things off your phone. Mm. Like I took Twitter off my phone. It's a great idea. Just removed it. Uh, when I go on vacation, I take Gmail off my phone. So I can't even, certainly I have no notifications. One step I can't removed, even write yeah. one more. Yeah. So I've got to log into the browser on my phone. Yeah, not happening, probably for to check my Gmail. So that's really healthy. But if I put the phone away physically from me while I'm eating dinner, that's helpful because otherwise, like we're having a conversation and let's say my wife says, what number was Willie Mays? And I'm thinking, well, I think pretty sure it's 24, but let me just, I'll just check. And the next thing you know, I'm down the wormhole and she's yes, sitting there yeah. going, where's my husband? So I, I think it's great to create non 
phone, non-digital zones for for human interaction. And, you know, when you go out and you're at a coffee shop or you're at a at a party or you're at a, any kind of social event, and if you really take a minute, get outside yourself and look around the room and see people living on their phones in a social setting and you realize this is not a good thing. No, it's not. Two people almost ran into me coming out of the gym because they were like <laughs> heads down on the phone this morning. And I was just, it's, it's a bummer. So fifth, try to notice when you enjoy outrage. So that sounds a bit counterintuitive, but the more we can become an observer of our thoughts, of our feelings, more of a watcher, the more we get to know ourselves. What are your thoughts here? And control it. So, sure. you know, I think this has both personal and political implications. I, I You watch a talk show uh, on TV or listen to a talk show on the radio or a certain kind of podcast and you find yourself getting worked up and you realize, and you enjoy it. You don't notice it, but you're really enjoying getting angry at the other side, getting dis- disdainful toward the other side. And I think that's an unhealthy emotion. It's a human emotion. It's natural. Obviously, it's what we want to indulge in a lot of times. And it's, it's that tribalism coming out that mm-hmm. we want to be part of our tribe. I want to feel good about my tribe, bad about the other tribe. It's a very, it's in our DNA, I suspect. Um, and I don't think it's, a, I think maybe, maybe people, listeners won't agree, but I think it's good to try to temper that. And one of the first things you have to do to do that is to notice it. And sure. so like, why am I getting pleasure right. from dismissing other people? That, that's really Doesn't seem helpful. To, yeah. And <laughs> you're not, definitely not saying that listeners should beat themselves up over it. Not at all. On the contrary, you're basically saying that to just notice it because we're all yeah. so prone to this. Yeah. And, and don't, but, again, don't ratchet it up. Don't get into it. And yeah. on the personal level, when you feel an offense, when somebody has been disrespectful to you at work or in your family and, you're, and, you, and your reaction, of course, is very much a defensive uh, anger and, and, and disdain for their disdain, mm-hmm you've lost a chance to to repair that for yes. a, potentially and for a long time. And so it's much better to say, I don't need to get worked up about this. They were just, they weren't thinking. It was not a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a strike at my essence, which no. is what it feels like. It's like, <laughs> they thought I'd, oh, that's, the, instead just go, probably just a misunderstanding. Communication is so difficult. And it's not to say everything's okay, doesn't matter. I don't right. feel that at all. Right? That's a ridiculous argument. So I'm not saying, don't feel outraged. You should feel outraged sometimes. Don't enjoy it. Don't ratchet it up. Don't get into it. Don't marinate in it. You know, someone says one remark because they're having a bad day and you just you just play that over and over again until you're like, you're so mad at them. And you're, it's like you miss, you're blown away out of proportion. Yes. And it's fun to blow it out of proportion. That's, you want to, sometimes you just want to revel in that, especially if you're in a bad place already. Right. And you find yourself getting, you know, bluer because you're taking that one thing and overemphasizing it. So just step back. No, just notice it. I think just noticing it's a huge step from blowing it out of proportion. So bait, escape yeah. the hook. <laughs> yeah. So sixth, maybe find some outlets for your tribalism that aren't political. You could try religion or sports or something else that connects you to other human beings. So if you aren't particularly religious or have an aversion to that, Maybe consider like the anthropological definition of religion, a collection of your daily rituals, maybe change your daily rituals, construct your own religion, do, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever floats your boat. But the point being here is that you're going to need outlets for the lesser qualities that we've evolved with. And so what do you recommend here? My suggestion is try to find other tribes that include people who aren't already in the tribe that you're kind of really into. Uh, Look for more little diversity. So you know, one of the challenges I think of the modern age, 
some people think it's a feature, not a bug. I don't. Is intersectionality this idea that you know you and I agree on everything? You have to. You're if you want to be in my tribe, you got to agree on everything. And I think increasingly that's the case. I think increasingly people do uh, feel that way or associate with people who are just like them on lots of things. So they're they have the same religion or they're against religion. They have the same ideology. They have the same political party. So find some tribes to hang out with that are that have some people who are not like you. Love it. So on to the seventh one, which you didn't list directly, yeah, but I think this was one of the best call to actions that I've read recently in any essay. So you reminded us, uh, there was a quote by another economist that said, regardless of what you think about Facebook or Twitter or anything that's going on right now, entrepreneurs are still free to build the alternative. We're all free to build an alternative, whether it's local, whether it's small thing, or whether it's a large company. And this seems to be what a lot of people just forgot that you're free to build and there's more capital waiting to be invested right now in the United States than at any other time in history. So we're living in what could be a golden age, but many people think that they have to stay inside the casino, the social network. What are your thoughts here? Well, I think it's a great observation about the opportunity and I didn't stress the opportunity part enough. I just said, well, there's an op- you know, there's chances to, to build alternatives that are friendlier, more civil, et cetera. Uh, I think a lot of people are discouraged. You're, you're making the point, which is a great point, which is there's a lot of capital to help you do that. But I think a lot of people think, well, I can't compete with fill in the blank, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon. And of course you can't today. Uh, but you know, just this month, we've seen Facebook take a serious hit from the fact that people are not so happy there. I, I brought, put it in my notes because Facebook and Twitter are increasingly being shown to be pretty fa- fragile yeah. in a sense. Any company that can lose 20% of its market cap and missing earnings just slightly, that seems to be kind of fragile. Yeah. Um, you know, people talk about the fangs, Facebook, Amazon, Is the, what's the end? Netflix. Uh, Apple, Netflix, Apple, Google. Yeah. Google and what's the S? I, I think we got all. Maybe it's fang. Oh, fangs. Yeah, or whatever. But, it, yeah. but it's like, is it angs? Because Facebook <laughs> is going to be off the list. Now I get a, a gan, snag, snag. Yeah. So I think, first of all, this world is more fragile. There is more opportunity. Uh, and I don't, I, you know, we're, the, the internet age is incredibly young. And, and there's been so much change. It feels like it's been around forever. Of course, it hasn't been. It, it's, a, it's a relatively new thing. We're going to develop, I hope, different platforms different cultural norms for how we interact on those platforms. And to me, that's a source of, you know, tremendous optimism and hope that we're going to figure the quote, figure this out. Now, no one's literally going to figure it out, but it's going to change and emerge and evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's extremely important. Um, you know, people are very upset right now, reasonably so, that our news feed, our access to information is increasingly coming from very few sources, Facebook, Twitter, Google, right? Instagram. It, it, they're dominating, literally letting me customize my news flow, my information mm-hmm. flow. But at the same time, they're manipulating it potentially either through outsiders, people worried about you know Russian influence, but also domestic. You know the fact that sure, Twitter yeah. cuts off certain people or Shadow Facebook, or, or people whatever. are really mad. Why didn't Facebook get rid of those guys? They're awful, and we're, we haven't figured this out yet. Mm-hmm. In America, we figured it out. We called it the First Amendment. We said, we're going to have a system where the government is not going to interfere with the information flow. And we're going to allow competition among different sources to to create truth. And you can debate how well that's worked, but it's a pretty good system over the last 200 something years. This current system, I think, is a little bit troubling. Uh, The current atmosphere, the current environment we're in, 
uh, where people can customize and be prone to being manipulated. So we're going to push back against that. We're already seeing it. We'll see what happens. And it's a really interesting time to be alive. It definitely is. So while you might not have control of the user experience of Facebook or Twitter, everyone who's listening out there does have control over the user experience of their daily lives, of their interactions and everything. And this essay was such a good reminder. Russ, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Mission Daily. It was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's great fun. Thanks. Thanks again to Twilio for sponsoring this episode of the Mission Daily. Don't forget to check out Twilio's Signal Conference this October in San Francisco. The conference theme is Artificial Intelligence, Authentic Communications, and we'll have some exciting events at their bash closing party, like the band OK Go attending. Use our promo code MISSION20 at checkout to get 20% off your tickets today. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.